It's time for the Plan with Dan podcast, the show that will help you discover and achieve your true purpose for money and make you a more confident investor. We'll talk about sane and intelligent approaches to financial planning. Now, let's Plan with Dan. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of the Plan with Dan podcast. I'm Mark Haywood alongside Dan Betzel. He's the founder of Betzel Wealth Advisors, serving you in the greater Columbus area with an office in Gehenna. I have to make sure I say that right. If you listened last week, you might have heard you did. You got of my gaffe, and I'm not trying to compare your office to the dump. So, <laughs> serving you with an office in Gehenna near the airport. Find him online at BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. That's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. And if you're with us today on the podcast, you're in for a special treat. If you listened last week to last week's podcast, you remember that we were joined by special guest Deb Oskin, enrolled agent with the IRS and ordained minister. And guess what? She's here again this week. This week, we're going to be talking about maybe somewhat of an unusual topic. We're going to be talking about members of the clergy and how they are affected by the tax code and how those rules apply to member of the clergy. I personally think this is going to be a fascinating topic. My grandfather was a Southern Baptist minister, and he grew up in the days where the church would provide you with a parsonage and pay you with peanuts. And so for him, his entire life, uh, he just really worked to manage his money well, given the circumstances. And as he's gotten older, he and my grandmother are really glad that he did because even on a meager salary, he was able to plan and provide for them. And so I'm just really fascinated to kind of hear specifically today about how uh, members of the clergy are affected by taxes. And uh, Dan, you can get into maybe the planning side of that. Just a lot to unpack here. But Deb, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad you're with us again. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so I'm really excited to have Deb and, and this um, actually area that we're going to talk about today has been one that's been so interesting to me. I find it absolutely fascinating. And, you know, Deb's been teaching and presenting nationally on clergy taxation, not only to clergy, but also to treasurers and administrators and other tax pros since 2004. You know, and she does about a dozen or so of these presentations uh, every year. And she does this, you know, of course, it's her it's her business, her profession. But, you know, when you spend a little time with her, you know, she really does it because she really wants to help other people. And she has this very deep belief that if she can help clergy take some of this tax load off of them, it's going to make them actually be able to go out there and, and to do their job and to help other people and, and to help those in our community. So I'm really, really excited to have this uh I have this uh, conversation today. So, so Deb, you're a clergy expert, and um, you know what do we need to know about clergy taxes? Like, where do we start? Well, the first place to start is who is subject to these goofy clergy tax rules. Excellent. So, the Congress wrote this in 1954, and you know what? I just read someplace that one of the reasons they changed the rules for clergy was because they were fighting godless communism. Ah, interesting. Just think, 1954 Very is the middle of the McCarthy era. That's right, absolutely. So they wanted to, to raise the status of ministers. I don't really understand why they thought this would work, but okay. So they wrote the law so that anyone who is licensed, commissioned, or ordained by a recognized faith community, and it's not like they have a list, but it's you can't just go out on your own and say that you're a licensed, commissioned, or ordained. So those people who are actually performing ministry services. The technical term is sacerdotal functions, but that just means anything that a minister would do, leading worship, counseling, weddings, baptisms, funerals, anointings, all of that stuff. 
So the income that they earn from both having the status of the minister and doing the work of the minister, that income is subject to this clergy tax rules. Special tax rules. So you don't actually have to be like employed at like a church or a house of worship, right? You could actually be maybe counseling people, doing wedding counseling or sure. prenatal counseling. Sure. Yeah. I have clients who are chaplains. Uh-huh. I A lot of clients who are chaplains. I have clients who, in fact, I have a, a client who's a cantor who is teaching intro to Judaism mm-hmm. for three synagogues in the local Columbus area. I have uh, rabbis and cantors and ministers. And also I had, I actually had one guy who wanted to marry his friends, but he's a lay Catholic person. So he, he did this online thing just to be able to marry mm-hmm. and uh, got hired as a chaplain. Hmm. And they thought he was subject to clergy tax rules, but he doesn't have the status. Uh-huh, interesting. So he wasn't subject to the clergy tax rules. So you have to meet these official recognition, be ordained, licensed, and commissioned, and perform these sacerdotal functions. That's right. Excellent. That's okay. right. Okay, so so once you get past that first threshold and, and you are now, you know, considered subject to these very special, dare I say, advantageous tax rules? Uh, well, I don't know. What are some of them? <laughs> what are some of them? Well, so part of the problem is that clergy are considered hybrid or dual status employees. So what does that mean? I know. It's, well, <laughs> It doesn't mean they get better gas mileage okay, as hybrid employees. Good, good. Um, it does mean usually they drive fast. Mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed that about clergy. <laughs> so basically, they're common law employees for income taxes, employee benefit plans, and retirement plans. Uh-huh. So their employers have to prepare a W-2 for them. Mm-hmm. But they're considered self-employed because they're exempt from FICA. Mm-hmm. Us older people know FICA. They don't call it FICA anymore. I don't know what they call it now, but it's basically the Social Security Mm -hmm. and Medicare Mm -hmm. taxes that are taken out of regular employees' paychecks. Employers are not permitted to take those out for clergy. Mm -hmm. So the clergy have to pay both halves of FICA, the employer and the employee half, by themselves, and that's done with the self-employment tax. You know, I think it's really great that this podcast is not just for clergy, but it's also for, say, treasurers and administrators, because I remember uh, I was a brand new lawyer out of law school, and I was working in a, a big law firm, a tax division, and a lot of times the, um, the W-2s were not prepared properly. Uh, many, many, many times. Like often they're not prepared properly, right? <laughs> yes. So then they would have to hire the law firm to go back and try to fix all of that for them. Or that's yes. the way when I, I worked on cases like that. And I yeah. remember being very interesting that, that the W-2s for clergy have to be filled out differently. Yes, they look very different. Yes. They yes. look very different. Yeah. And rule number one, never confuse the IRS. Just don't do it. Right. Don't do it. <laughs> Let's just make sure everything is correct. That's why I do what I do. I do a lot of free consultations with churches because I want that W-2 to be correct. And then I charge when I do the tax return. Excellent. Yeah. So you've seen that as well then. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. Many, many times. Good. Good. So one of the benefits, though, I mean, this is really complicated and employers (laughs) are like, holy cow, do I really have to do this? I really don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. But it ends up, let's actually rearrange this a little bit. So the clergy end up then having a salary, Mm -hmm. right? And then they have something called a housing allowance, which we're going to talk in depth about. Yeah. And they also get honoraria, right? Mm-hmm. If they do a wedding or a mm-hmm. funeral, somebody slips 50 bucks in their hand, says thank you. And that is not a W-2 issue, right? The employer isn't accounting for that, sort of like tips maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to put that on Schedule C and mm-hmm. treat that as ministry income mm-hmm. and pay, like everybody else does, mm-hmm. income tax and self-employment tax on it. 
so as Mark was talking about, you know, this his grandfather, you know, he had a parsonage. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, so this this housing allowance, you know, I mean, yeah. t- tell me how that works. I mean, I I've, I've been on boards of uh, you know, of religious institutions, and I know every year we have to like pass this this like little housing allowance thing. You yes. Know, it's very pro forma, but it's very important that we do it. So yes. would you kind of explain maybe people that haven't had that experience? Like what, sure. what is this housing allowance thing that, that clergy get? Well, let me back up a little bit and talk about parsonages. Yeah. My husband pastored for a year and nine months and a couple days. And if you heard last week's podcast, you heard me tell everybody that I was a terrible pastor's wife. Well, we lived in, it was a rural congregation. We lived in the parsonage. Mm-hmm. I happened to mention that I thought the carpet was ugly to the person who had chosen the carpet oh, no. 25 <laughs> years before. So that, like I started off on a back foot, and it didn't really get better from there. And we were, this was a, a rural farm area. And so not only we didn't get paid in peanuts, there was some cash, but there was also like food, mm-hmm. right? And I can remember in our tradition, pastors being paid with food, chickens, turkeys, wow. side of beef or something. But- Here's the thing about parsonages. The fair rental value of the parsonage mm-hmm. gets added to the clergy salary and they have to pay self-employment tax on it. Hmm, interesting. That hurts because yeah. they're not getting much cash, remember? Right, right. So I bet I bet your Southern Baptist grandfather really, really, really was counting his pennies because in those days I bet he got very, very little cash. Hmm. So that it's difficult to live in a parsonage because you have to pay self-employment tax on the value of the parsonage, but you didn't get the money to do it. Wow. Wow. Now, if you don't live in a parsonage, you can still set aside some of your income as a housing allowance to pay for the home you're living in. And why is that? Why does that help them? Well, so without a housing allowance, clergy are paying income tax on their full salary and Mm -hmm. compensation and self-employment tax Mm -hmm. on their full salary and compensation, basically the way you and I do Mm -hmm. as Mm self-employed sole proprietors. Mm -hmm. Well, for clergy, if you take that housing allowance, not the parsonage one, but but the one where you're living in your own home, that reduces the amount you have to pay on income tax. Okay, so let's say a clergy makes uh, $60,000 a year. Okay. But the board of the religious institution has determined that 20000 of that is uh-huh. for a housing allowance. Uh-huh. Does that seem feasible to you? Well, I would prefer that the clergy person tell the board how much they want as housing. Uh-huh. But, um, and then what does certainly. that do with their income? So, so the housing allowance, is that deducted from their income? Well, sort of. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that their taxable income mm-hmm. is 40000 mm-hmm. the total compensation minus the twenty, mm-hmm. And then on their W-2 in box 14 where it says other, mm-hmm. the organization writes housing and 20000 Mm-hmm. But remember, there's no FICA withholding, so th- mm-hmm. maybe the only number on that is in box one mm-hmm. and in box fourteen. Mm-hmm. See, and I told you I wasn't going to talk about W twos, and here I am doing it. But it sounds like it's it's uh, the bottom line is it really can help them. It can. Yes. Most of the clergy I deal with are smaller church clergy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so most of them don't actually owe that much income tax at all. Mm-hmm. The self-employment tax is the big one, and mm-hmm. that's fifteen point three percent of all of the mm-hmm. clergy compensation. So. Yeah, it kind of adds up. But housing has a lot of other benefits. Mm -hmm. So actually on my website, www.oskintax.com, it's O-S-K-I-N-T-A-X.com, I have a resources page. And on that page, I've got a single space type two pages of things that you can use against your housing allowance. So remember, those of you who listened last week remembered that I was talking about how your standard deduction removes income 
before the tax is calculated. Mm -hmm. The housing allowance works the same way. And what I want to do is make sure that you have used all of your housing legally. So the problem with the housing allowance is you can't deduct everything you spend mm -hmm. on housing unless you set an amount at the beginning of the year right. that's higher than that amount. Right. You can't like, add, here's the bummer part, you can't add it up at the end of the year and say, yeah, that's how much that's I right. needed. So that's why the board every year that I was on, we had to pass that resolution. Yes. Excellent. And it yeah. had to be done first. Right. We did, always one of the first things we did. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Great. Okay. So um, is there, so we, we talked about how the income taxation, we've talked about, well, first of all, we talked about, you know, who is a clergy, right? Uh -huh. And we've talked about the, the dual status and how that affects the income taxation and how there's all these problems often with the w, um, W-2s. Yes. Talked about housing allowance. Is there anything that you can say that might be really advantageous for retirement planning? That oh, my gosh. This is the perk for clergy when they finally retire. Unfortunately, most clergy don't actually really retire mm -hmm. until they are not able to move. But when they when they officially retire and so my experience is they keep working here and there but when they start drawing their retirement any money that they put into their retirement while working as clergy comes out as housing allowance so this means that as much as they spend on housing mm -hmm. that amount of their pension is not taxable to income tax mm -hmm. and because it's a pension and not active work there's no self-employment tax. It's amazing, right? It's awesome. How so. there's some rules though, as mm -hmm. you know, Dan, mm -hmm. right? It has to be put into either a church pension mm -hmm. or a 403b plan. You can't say an IRA of any kind right. is clergy. It will not work. Right. And some other plans may also not work. But it does it does have to be funded by clergy income mm -hmm. and then it comes out a hundred percent housing. Wow. So young clergy members that maybe are not going to have a pension through their, you know, the, the you know, the big denominations. This, is, this could be really, really, really powerful for them if they understood oh, yes. about the four, I call it the made up term, but the clergy 403B, that's not a, that's, yeah, not, yeah. that's not a, I know an IRS term or a yeah. tax term. Yeah. And I, I think that's really, it's really fun if you get the opportunity to share that with somebody. So, yes. so Mark, I wanted to, Hey, Mark, you've been listening Do you have any like, um, Comments, you know, did any of this sound familiar to what you heard growing up and uh, talking with your grandpa? Well, I think for him, it just came back to a more, and this is something we talk all the time about on this podcast, but for him, it just came back to having more of an overall plan. I think taxes were certainly a major component of that, but he just had to really work to develop a comprehensive plan. I mean, I remember my a grandmother, my, my mom tells stories about how growing up that she would often give him a hard time about stashing so much away for <laughs> retirement and doing it in a tax-friendly way. And now that they're getting older and have experienced some health trouble and the different complications that come with age, I think she's really thankful that he did. But at the time, it was tough. I mean, you're on a shoestring budget, and he's just trying to put everything away that he can for the future at the same time. And it's just a tough thing to balance. Yeah. So one of the things that I see in my practice is, well, the last week of tax season, I commonly tell three or four people that they owe $6,000 to the IRS. Like I said, that self-employment tax mm -hmm. is a killer. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen people further on in their, in their clergy, their ministry careers who owe tens of thousands of dollars to the IRS and have no hope of ever paying it off. Oh, wow. The installment plan just keeps rolling over because they can't pay off what they owed before and they can't pay what they owe this year and they can't get ahead of it. Mm -hmm. So my goal when I'm working with people is to help them get ahead of it. I love being able to reach out to seminarians. I love catching people their first year of ministry. 
And in fact, I had two young couples a couple years ago who both owed four or $5,000. And we developed a plan to get that paid off. And the next year they came in and they said, Deb, you told us what to do. It completely sucked. Mm-hmm. Pardon my language. That's what they said. These are clergy talking to me. Completely sucked. It was horrible. But they got a $300 refund that year. Mm-hmm. Wow. They, When you get them early, you can get ahead of it and also make sure that they're putting money into their retirement. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I, I have kind of a similar experience. Um, it was a friend of mine and uh, she was a, uh, she is I'm fairly well known like children's uh Musicians, she 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 makes CDs and, and she mm-hmm. and she works part time, you know, in a, in a religious school, and she never had heard about this housing allowance, and so oh. I talked to her about it, and she went back to the board, and and there was someone on the board who did some research, and they said, well, yeah, we can do this, and she was able because she was married to her husband who was working. Yes, so a significant part, like I don't know what percentage, but an awful lot of her income was able to be deemed, you know, housing allowance. Yes, and, and I got a really nice email from her. Hey, thanks for that. I, I'd, I'd seen her at a convention. Yeah, and um, and she was really, really nice, and I just felt made me feel so good. Yeah, I was able to like just give her this like little tip, and she went back and talked to the board, and the board passed the right resolution, and it's like wow, suddenly she has this nice tax break, which um you know I, I think makes me feel really great. The so. problem that I experience too is sometimes with the employers is they they think that maybe the this is something illegal. Exactly. Yeah. And because yeah. they don't understand it, right, and right. they don't understand why. They don't actually understand that the, their employee has to pay self-employment tax on everything they pay them. And that my position is you and I are taking every available tax break to us legally. That's my mm-hmm. job yeah. is to prepare a tax return where you have the least legal liability. And so they should be doing the same thing for their employers and their employees. There's actually an IRS publication. Is there? Is, is it? Is it publication 517? It is. And it's actually Social Security and other information for members of the clergy and religious workers. Yes. And everyone should get that in the hands of their... Uh, <laughs> yes, they should. Yes, they should. And in fact, there's an employer guide, 15A, which ha- on Chapter 4 is all about ministers for the employers. Wow. That's yes. fantastic. So, you know... I have really enjoyed like doing this kind of it's it's been a very aerial three thousand foot view, right? Yes, it sure has. And and there's a lot of particulars and a lot of say minutia that has to be looked at, and that's what people like you do, right? I do five hour seminars on this that's, material. And I'm, that I'm, that tells you how high a job we've done here. And actually you can tell that I'm actually a, such a nerd because I'm like, I want to come. <laughs> <laughs> so but if people say people maybe they're not ready for the five hour you know, <laughs> seminar, but they want more, I would direct them to your website, which I've yes. looked at. It's um it's www.oskintax, oskintax.com. There's a lot of really, really great information. I have a page with my presentations on it. So you can see which ones are upcoming. And there's some of them that are being webcast and are open. It's wonderful. January 27th, there's one that's in two pieces. So there's a three-hour morning session on the theory and the law. And then in the afternoon, we try to do a clergy return on TurboTax, which actually isn't possible. But if you wiggle around it, you can kind of do it. Very interesting. So, and that's um, open. It's thirty dollars. It's on my website on the presentations page. It's fantastic. And so, you know, it's all about educating and um, 
believing that you know through education we can empower ourselves to make the very best decisions that you know help us and our families and by so doing you know to free up I, I, I feel so sorry the story you told about ministers that must, must be just a very hard burden on them psychologically and spiritually well, and you know, yes if, if, if that's they're, it you know if they're have this big tax burden as, as you said you know you do this because your deep belief that that if you can help the clergy they can devote more of their energy to ministry if they're not stressed by all this tax. Sure. So, well, who couldn't, exa- right? Exactly. Yes. So I've really enjoyed having you as my guest. It's and, been um, so fun. And um, uh, I hope people got just a little taste. Mark, did you get like a little taste of, of, of how rich this area is and how much there is for people? So if you're not a clergy, that's great. Maybe your clergy where you attend services or perhaps you are on a board and you're not aware of this or maybe you'd like someone to come in and, and talk to you about um, how you may be able to improve the tax planning you're doing for the clergy. There's all kinds of possibilities if you begin to think Absolutely. about Absolutely, and I do free consultations because my goal, like I said, a correct W-2 and the benefit, mm-hmm. you know, the least legal liability for that clergy person. Great. So, Mark. Yes. As always, if you'd like more information, you can check Deb out online at oskintax.com. That's O-S-K-I-N-tax.com. Like they said, I know we've discussed a lot of really some nitty gritty here, but it's really just a 5,000 foot view. You're probably <laughs> left with even more questions after a podcast like this. So check her out online. And as always, if you have more general questions about your taxes or any other areas of your retirement, you can reach out to Dan Betzel and the team at Betzel Wealth Advisors. As always, you can go to BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. That's BetzelWealthAdvisors.com. Or you can give him a call, 614-472-4510, 614-472-4510. Deb Oskin, enrolled agent and ordained minister. Deb, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mark. We'll see you back next time for another edition of the Plan with Dan podcast. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by Betzel Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Ohio.